Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. And the first thing we have is this all kicks off with this question from the disciples. And um, they're, they're asking Jesus, who among us is the greatest? Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the first thing to think about is what, is, what are the disciples actually asking when they ask this question? Because I think we can see heaven as quite a passive place. You know, it's a place you go to rest. So when you're asking who the greatest is with that framework, you're more thinking like, who has the best seat at the cinema, or who's in the royal box at the football match. But that's not what the disciples are asking. What they're asking is who has the most authority in God's government. Because the kingdom of heaven is, God, is God's government for his new creation. Um, so what they're asking for is, how do I get promoted in your government? What do I need to do? They're, they're kind of grappling over positions in cabinet. So what Jesus answers them is that, If you want authority, if you want power, if you want governance and promotion, in his kingdom that's given to the humble and those that are like little children. And that's not necessarily the answer you would expect. You would normally promote your family members or theoretically the people who had the the confidence of the public or, you know. But Jesus specifically looks for those that are not big, they're not necessarily well-known, they might not be respected in human terms. King David would be an example of this. His own father didn't think that he was even a candidate uh, for kingship, and yet the Lord promoted him to rule over all of Israel. So the humble and those who take the posture of a child are the ones that, who get promotion in the kingdom of heaven. The other thing to notice here is that Jesus doesn't criticise them for wanting that position. There's no idea of, oh, you shouldn't want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, no, if you want to be the greatest, good on you, but this is how you do it. You've got to be humble like a child. So pursuing greatness in God's family is a good thing. But to do so, we're going to need to unlearn some things and and, and take the position of a child so we can relearn things from the Father. Now, the thing that I found hard about preparing this is that the temptation with a passage like this is that you think about all the ways children are great and adults are not great. And it kind of becomes an exercise in look at the children, let's be like them. But Jesus doesn't offer any clarity on what being a child is like in this passage. And the things he goes on to say aren't really about what it's like to be a child. They're much more about... What, it, what you need to do to be a safe space for children and for spiritual children. So it's clear from um, other parts, and, and the reason I want to do that is that our aim as Christians is not to be spiritual children forever. You know, in other parts of Scripture, it becomes super clear that the Lord does not want us to stay as spiritual children. Paul, on several occasions, highlights that the role of mature believers is to judge angels and settle disputes between the spiritual rulers of the world. In Hebrews, the writer uh, berates the church for still needing milk rather than adult food. 
And even if you look at the whole kind of story of Scripture, the aim is not to go back to what Adam and Eve were before they ate the fruit. God's taking us somewhere new where we're, we're, we're awake adults. We know good and evil. We have wisdom. But we have learned how to have that in relationship with the Father. So the aim is not to go back to just being children. And so I'm not going to talk about, at least directly, what it's like to be childlike. Um, instead, we're going to talk about, you know, for us to become well-adapted spiritual adults, how can we make an environment for each other where we can be childlike together and learn safely. So, um, Eden, my little girl, um, she is starting to walk, um, and it is a challenge making an environment that is safe for her to be a child, while also being effective for her to grow up. You know, how many things, how many doors do you seal off, and how many do you let her open so she knows not to open them? You know, how hot do you let food be before she learns not to touch it? It's not as simple as just not letting anything touch her. Yeah? We have to be concerned for her health, but not too concerned. We have to give her attention, but not too much attention. You know, making the right environment for a child is hard, especially when that child is being prepared to live in a world that is so wrong. So as we go through the rest of the passages that Josh read out for us, I want you to have in your mind the question, are we you know, CCM, your home family, your small group, are we a healthy environment for spiritual children? So the first thing Jesus says after that is in Matt 8.15. He says, whoever receives me, uh, whoever receives little ones in my name, receives me. So there's one thing here that is, when you think about it, it's just kind of obvious. Jesus has just said that the authority in heaven rests with the, the humble and the childlike. So if you reject the humble and childlike, you're rejecting the authority of heaven. So we have to receive these people, these, these spiritual children. Otherwise, we're overlooking Jesus himself in our, in our community. And likewise, as Jesus says, when we receive them, we receive him. How are the ways that we... So this got me thinking about how are the ways that we might not receive little ones? Because receiving here is talking about giving hospitality, um, providing safety, looking after, giving care. Um, and you can, let your, you can let your mind explore this, but one of the things I think we like to do as adults, especially British adults, is we, we treat the emotional experience of children with disrespect. Um, children feel... And if you've been around a child, they feel very strongly. But there's actually no reason to believe that just because we adults are emotionally dull, it's good for us to be emotionally dull. God is, God is after all, the most emotional person of any of us. He is the source of all joy. On the occasion that, he, that the behaviour of humans caused him to grieve... He flooded the earth. His tears flooded the earth. He's slow to anger, but if you're foolish enough to get him angry, his anger burns very fierce, and so fierce that one day it will consume everything you see around you. <coughs> Disrespect for the emotionally intense experience of children 
is something we need to unlearn if we're going to become an effective community of childlike believers. As we become more like our Father, we should expect to feel more strongly, to grieve more deeply, to rejoice more aboundingly, and we will require humility to walk together while we're learning how to do this. We must receive the childlike with kindness and gentleness, and we must accept each other in Jesus' name. The aim is to regulate our strong emotions, not to suppress them. So what does it mean to receive each other in Jesus' name, as in in Jesus' name specifically? I think this is a reference to what uh, standard we're using when we think about how we care for each other. So I could receive someone in my name, and that would mean the way I treat them is how I would want to be treated. It becomes based on uh, my desires and my preferences. So um, I might have been brought up to sit at a table in a certain way. And so I pass that expectation on to people around me. And actually, they may be brought up in a different way. It might not be the right way that works for them. Um, the way I talk about issues might be different, might work one way for me and work a different way for, for them. And so when you receive someone in your own name, you're actually making them subject to your preferences. And so, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says to receive in his name. Another alternative is to receive a child in their own name. And that becomes where it becomes entirely about the child's preferences or, or the person's preferences. Oh, you don't want this. That's fine. Or you, you like it that way. That's fine. And you run yourself ragged. But also, it's not healthy for a child's growth to be totally self-focused and totally focused on their own self-actualization. You know, how hospitable we are should not be defined by the whims of, of just everyone around us completely arbitrarily. I, in our culture, I think this is the trap we fall into. We have so you know, much, you do you, I do me. You know, I'll do whatever you want. And you know, there are communities tearing each other to shreds over what pronouns people like to be called by and how they're, you know, like, I don't want to get into it, but that, that is the problem, right? That people, they're trying to receive each other in each other's name rather than in the name of, of Jesus, the source of all reality and truth. So the alternative to both of those traps is to receive each other in Jesus' name. What is the standard of care that Jesus sets? What is the truth that binds good behaviour that, that Jesus provides us with. Um, you know, our, when we're hospitable to others, it's not about us and it's not about them. It's about the Lord who they are made in the image of and who is the, is the source of truth and life. So in CCM, when we receive each other, how can we make sure we're receiving each other in Jesus' name? Um, the next big section that Jesus goes on to is about stumbling blocks. So, um, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of a sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the one through whom the stumbling block comes. Leading children, leading the children astray is obviously bad. Like, it's so bad. You know, you think, 
you know, tripping up a child, you know, everyone is mortified at the behaviour. No one knows what to do about it because they don't like talking to each other, but everyone hates it. You, know, so you don't need to know that it's bad to put stumbling blocks in front of children. You, you know it naturally. You know, one of the interesting court cases going through at the moment is to what extent Shamima Begum was, was groomed. You know, leading, leading children astray can go very, very wrong. The second thing about that is children, it, it's actually quite easy to trip up children. Um, we were at the park with, um, I was at the park with Mike and Caleb and Ivy. And I think at the time he had worked out how to walk, but not how to stop walking. So he just kind of went faster and faster and faster and faster and faster until his legs gave way. And it, you know, it does not take very much to trip up a child. They're so full of energy. They haven't worked out what limbs are yet, really. And so we'd, you know, we'd be careful with each other about what expectations we put. Oh, this little thing shouldn't trip you up. You know, you're an adult. You don't need that. But you know, children just trip anyway. So my, you know, my big idea here, and I surprised myself by wanting to go on to the next two verses about hand and eyes and um, bodily mutilation. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the connection Jesus is making is, is twofold. One, the first one is how would we behave differently if we treated each other like children who could be tripped up? Would we, would we be more careful with our humour? Would we be more sensitive when discussing secondary or disputable issues? Would we maybe change how or where we socialise? Um, Paul gets at this idea in his, in his advice about food being offered to idols uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, um, 9 to 13, after making it super clear that theologically there is no problem with eating food eaten that has been offered to idols because you know, it doesn't, you know, idols don't really exist, is, is his argument. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge eating, with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if that which... If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Yeah, how, are we, how, how do we need to be considerate about what we do around each other? As if, you know, you are people that I could trip up. Jesus here, the woe here is actually not pronounced on the children, even though they're the ones who are being tripped. The woe is on the people for whom the stumbling block comes. You know, there are times in our lives where we sin, and while we're culpable for our sin, passages like this make clear that Jesus also holds the person who introduced the temptation to a degree culpable for that sin. So, you know, there may be some of you that are in patterns of sin, or you really struggle with things, and you have such a strong feeling of guilt or shame about it. And one of the things you can take for this verse is that you might be carrying too much of the guilt because some of the guilt will rest on, might rest on the person who tripped you up. And the Lord would see that. Um, and his anger is not just directed at you. The second idea from here, and this is where the next verse has come along, 
is how will we behave differently if we treated ourselves like children who could be tripped up? So one of um, Jordan Peterson's first uh, 12 rules for life is to treat yourself as someone you are responsible for helping. And he has this whole chapter about how people just don't take their medicine. And there are studies that show that they're more likely to give their dog the medicine than take their own medicine. You know, and it doesn't, it doesn't even, if you make the medicine free, it has no impact. People just, there's the thing that people just don't like looking after themselves. And after, after kind of whining about this for a while, Jordan Peterson goes on to, with, with this passage, said, you deserve some respect. You are important to other people as much as to yourself. You are therefore morally obliged to take care of yourself. You should take care of, help, and be good to yourself the same way that you would take care of, help, and be good to someone that you loved and valued. To treat yourself as if you were someone you are responsible for caring for is to consider what would be truly good for you. It is not giving yourself what you want. It is also not what would make me happy. Every time you give a child something sweet, you make that child happy. That does not mean that you should do nothing for your children except feed them candy regularly. (laughs) You must help a child become virtuous, responsible and awake, capable of full reciprocity, able to take care of himself and others and thrive while doing so. Why would you think it acceptable to provide any less care to yourself? Jesus agrees with Jordan Peterson because in these next verses, he's saying, you know, if your hand and foot is what is tripping you up, get rid of it. If your eye is what is tripping you up, get rid of it. Treat yourself like someone who can be stumbled, you know, and woe to you if it's your own, you know, if it's yourself that's tripping you up. How have we behaved differently if we treated ourselves like someone who could easily be tripped up in the faith? Um, The next thing Jesus says is, um, do not despise little ones, for their angels are always before the Father. Um, First, I think, uh, we who are parents of little ones can take this as an encouragement. Because if you are being nagged by your little one endlessly, be comforted that the angels of your little one are nagging the father constantly. They are always before his, always before his faith, f- face. So one part of this is, you know, do we present our needs before the father like our little ones are? Or do we think we can do it on our own because we're big grown-up adults? Um, the, uh, the second part of this is do not despise little ones. Um, I think when I didn't have my own child, you, you looked at other children and thought, oh, you know, they're so sweet, how lovely. How could you possibly be angry at them? Oh, my. Oh, my. There are things about children that adults don't like. You know, for an adult with a, who's mostly tired, has a desensitised mind full of finance and politics um, and a dull heart, uh, kids can be really, really annoying. But just because tired, bored, maladapted adults don't like something doesn't mean that thing is bad. Our Father in Heaven does not have a dull heart. He does not have a uh, desensitised mind full of finance and politics. He's not tired. He's not bored. He's not maladapted. Uh, I found a a G.K. Chesterton quote um, Actually, before I wrote this sermon, and I, I just, it's the only thing that's been in my head all the way through. Um, so uh, this is a quote. It's actually not on the screen, so I'll read it here. Um, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, 
Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> for for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It might not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It might be that God makes every daisy individually and has just never got tired of doing so. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is much younger than we. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, and for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is much younger than we. So there are two so a very good reason not to despise infants is they might be more like God than we think they are, and certainly more like God than we are. And it's really bad when we train ourselves to dislike things that God likes. We might find on the day that we've been training our character to be annoyed at the things that are embedded deeply in God's character. It is good to rejoice in the mundane and the repetitive. Um, Galatians 6 says, Do not grow weary of doing good. It is good to ask our Heavenly Father persistently for what we need in the way our children ask us. It is good to expect to receive from our Father without needing to repay him. And it is bad for us to dislike what God likes or to like what he dislikes. The second thing about despising children then is it's not actually it's not good for the child. Even if you're irritated at their behaviour, being you know, despising them about it is not good for them. Um, children can develop all sorts of they're called one one theory of this is they're called maladaptive schemas. And these are like patterns of behaviour. Um, that kids learn as survival strategies because they're struggling to cope with um, existing in their bodies with all their emotions. And these things can stick with you well into adulthood. Um, Two of these schemas are known as uh, defectiveness, and that's the idea where you just think, I'm just not not worthy, like I'm not, there's something wrong with me, you know, I don't deserve help because it's wrong with me. Uh, And emotional deprivation, and that's where you can get into adulthood thinking, no matter what I do, my emotional needs are not going to be met. Um, you know, there are plenty of psychotherapy um, theories that address similar issues. You might have heard of attachment theory, which is another one, and that's about um, kind of how your relationships tend to form. And you know, if you you can have an anxious attachment, which we're kind of always afraid that it's going to fail, or you can have attachments that are secure, where you know you rest in it, but you're happy to leave. You have fearful attachments. Um, you know, whatever language or theory is used to describe this stuff, um, the professional opinion is clear. You know, if the child is not growing up in the right environment and with the right sort of stable relationships, um, it does not help them become well-adapted, functioning adults. And in the spiritual sense, we are all maladapted children. We've all grown up in a world that is terminally, terminally sick with sin. And you know, as I did my research and I, looked at, I found out about these maladaptive schemas, I just couldn't help but notice that some of them actually described my relationship with the Lord. You know, I expected instability. My experience of my faith was that there are times when God is very close and times when he's far away. 
And that, that's, it's, that's normal and human, but also when that factors into how I expect him to be going forward, that can build very unhealthy patterns in my relationship with the Lord. Um, do I feel like the Lord won't meet my emotional needs, emotional deprivation? Do I feel disconnected from here? So part of what Jesus is saying in this is it's an invitation to come back to the Father and find healing for these spiritual um, uh, maladaptions. You know, you're not despised by your Heavenly Father. So if CCM is going to be a healthy place for us to have childlike believers and for us to journey together and care for each other, to make sure that we encourage emotional stability, kindness, uh, relational support. You know, as Jesus said, stumbling blocks will come. What do we need to be? We need to be a community that encourages vulnerability without causing shame. In the verses that follow this passage, Jesus talks about forgiveness, and he basically tells, he tells Peter that you have to basically forgive your brother endlessly. And so forgiveness like this is essential to form these secure, healthy relationships required to make us secure, functioning adults uh, in the kingdom. We should be a community that models care and respect for strong emotions. Um, Children can easily learn that their emotions must be hidden or suppressed or that they have to leave if they're um, feeling uh, intense things. They can become avoidant and angry. But there's space in God's heart for the full range of human emotion. So our aim is to encourage uh, experience and regulation, not to encourage pretense. And how can we make sure we're a community that provides space for that? And we should be a community that strives for humility without slipping into self-deprecation. You know, the worth of a child is never in question. The correct path to humility is not to make yourself smaller than you are, but to practice seeing God as as big as he is. In relationship to God, you are both small enough and already valuable beyond your wildest dreams. And the very final thing uh, Jesus talks about is uh, he tells the story of uh, the good shepherd. And the point here is that every child matters. In the world, I think it was, it was either George Bush or Bill Clinton. It was no child left behind. Um, you know, and in the society Jesus is in, you know, children weren't worth as much as we think of them as worth now. You know, I think about 50% of kids got to their 14th birthday. So there was a certain amount of, you know, you have a few spares and you don't expect them all to get to adulthood. And, you know, while they're here, um, you know, while they're here, they kind of, you know, they help you run the farm and you need them because otherwise no one will look after you. The, the functionality of having children actually reduced their worth rather than... Um, rather than increasing it. It was not uncommon to just discard children that you didn't want. Uh, One of the things that the Christians got hated for so early on is they would rescue babies from dumps. Um, In that context, the matter-of-fact pronouncement that it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones perish is fairly radical. He's not talking about spares, He's not talking about extras. He's not talking about the size of dowry you can get for your daughter. It is not the will of the Father in heaven that any of these little ones would perish. Children, you know, spiritual children as well as physical children will wander off 
This should not surprise us. The question is, what do we do about it? Do we get fatalistic? Because if there's, oh, you know, there's nothing we can do anyway, it's just inevitable and we just kind of carry on with our lives. Do we look at maybe our church in general and think, oh, you know, that family left, but, you know, we've still got 60 on a Sunday. There's enough in the offering to pay the part-time worker and, you know, let's keep, not, don't, let's not bother about it too much. To be a healthy place for spiritual children, we need to be a community that goes and looks for the ones that have wandered away. Um, Amy and I were at a church a few years ago, and uh, it's not like we wouldn't have left if this was different, because there were lots of reasons why we left. But when we left, no one contacted us. There, just, there was just nothing. No one came looking. And it's not, like I say, it's not like we wouldn't have left, because we were already out the door. But it left an impression on us. And I can imagine that if we hadn't gone straight into the arms of a different church, then that would have impacted how we felt about God and his family and his care for us. So as a community, I hope we're committed enough to each other that we go looking when we wander off. And then very fi- the very final thing is that to be a healthy place for children, we need to celebrate when we find the ones that have gone astray. It's easy to like, bring people back and they can feel chastised for leaving in the first place. We must welcome them back and celebrate. You know, you are not part of a herd. You're an individual um, that the Lord does not want to perish for your sake. So as we wrap up, just be thinking about what do we need to do to be a community that is a good place for spiritual children? How do we need to look after each other and look after ourselves? <coughs>